0: It's my pleasure to welcome you here to the Clark Howard Show, where it's all about you learning ways to save more and spend less, and don't let anyone ever rip you off. Our websites are clark.com and clarkdeals.com. So just offhanded, uh, like a six-second stream of conscious mention on yesterday's show, I mentioned that there were special deals available on reward cards right now. And didn't give any other details. I was just kind of throwing that out there. And since then, people have said, what, what, what are the deals? Tell me about them. So here's what you should know. And it's funny because I have gotten several of these mailings just in the last couple of weeks. I got one from American Express just two days ago, which was an offer for the American Express gold card with the highest... Initial sign-up bonus that, as best I know, they've ever offered. The American Express Gold Card, and I will tell you, when people have gone on strike against reward cards, which they've done the the travel kind of reward cards, which they've gone on strike this year because you know most people who fly for fun aren't flying right now. And that's why you get those points. So there's both the captive cards that are the ones that you earn points on a single airline. And then there's the general mileage ones where you earn points that can be used on a variety of airlines. American Express, through its membership rewards program, you can then take the points and with participating airlines, redeem them against their reward chart and it's a very simple link and you transfer the points over gives you much more flexibility than a single airline card unless you overwhelmingly fly extremely frequently on one airline you're better off with one of these kinda cards that make you a free agent well Capital One has its versions that come under the Venture sub-brand and Chase under the Sapphire sub-brand And they're all offering these really, really big bonuses. American Express right now, 60,000 points. Uh, The Capital One has been doing, I think, 100,000. And there's an 80,000, I think, right now from Chase, just depending on what mailings you get. The funny thing is, according to Condé Nast Traveler, the greatest bang for your points is actually the American Express, if you get that gold card offer, at 60000 gets you more equivalent of travel than what you get with the higher mileage numbers that are being offered by Capital One and Chase. But in any case, these give you the opportunity of great flexibility. The Chase and Capital One give you more flexibility about what airline you end up flying on But the American Express is a great offer. Now with these cards, typically the best mileage offers are going to require that you get a card that has an annual fee. Like you'd have a big annual fee with the American Express, you'd have a big annual fee with the Chase, depending on the card, and the annual fees on the Capital One Venture products tend to be a little lower than the others but any of these give you the opportunity to as long as you charge the required volume in the period of time that's usually three to six months you then are going to have these points you're able to bank and when you're willing to fly again hopefully people will feel comfortable doing that less than a year from now is the success of vaccines and the uh, the number of people that will take the vaccine spreads that people will have banked these points and then be ready to hit the sky again. It's time for your questions. You posted for me at clark.com slash ask. Producers Kim and Joel taking turns. Kim.
1: Okay, this is from Joe in Alaska. Joe says, I have a 52-year-old niece who lost her job of 30-plus years about two years ago. She has since been unable to find any employment except for minimum wage. Since then, she's mounted credit card debt a lot, about $27,000. Also, she's got a little medical debt, about 3000 and auto debt of around 7000 all totaled 34000 in debt.
0: With, want... with basically no income at all. Correct. Which is why the deficit spending has been happening and why there's no ability right now to work against that
1: debt. 100%. And so Joe would like to help her pay off all of these debts. However, he doesn't want to just send her $34,000. He wants to ensure the money's used to pay off the debt. He's worried because she's very generous and she's a compassionate mother and grandmother. And a lot of the debt is attributed to paying for stuff for her kids and for her grandkids. So Joe wants to know, how can he help her negotiate with collection agencies or with the original debt owners? He's under the impression that the credit card companies or any of the debt agencies won't directly talk to him and discuss any sort of payoff. Do you have any advice?
0: Yes. Uh, First of all, you are so kind to do this. Second, what a terrible break to work for one company for three. 30 years when you're 20, 20 years old to 50 years old, and then find yourself in such an unstable work situation. Uh, it's terrible, terrible. So, what you do with the debt collectors, since you're being so generous, is she can arrange three way phone calls with the debt collector and with you. And then you will have the ability with her on the line to negotiate with the debt collection agencies. But you don't pay anything over the phone, you don't give them a checking account number of yours or anything like that to satisfy the debt. All it does is you then need to trigger them sending a letter offering that payment of X number of dollars is payment in full. And the collection agency is motivated to work with you because she's got no money and you're willing to step up and pay money for her, so they should be willing to settle for cents on the dollar. As far as whether you negotiate with the collection agency or the original creditor, in cases where the debt's already been turned over to a collection agency, that's who you negotiate with. But again, not a penny to anybody until you have in writing that payment of X dollars equals satisfaction of the debt in full. Joel?
2: Clark Kirk in Hawaii says, we recently sold our home and we have our proceeds in our bank savings account. Are we covered by FDIC insurance for an amount over $250,000 if we split it up between two different accounts at the same bank, or do we need to divide it up between different banks?
0: That's a wonderful question. So the FDIC insurance can stretch beyond 250 based on how the accounts are titled and if you go to FDIC.gov there's an explanation about how you can make sure that you're able to see that all dollars are in fact FDIC insured. But one thing I would be looking at if you've got an excess of $250,000 that's in a parking space at a bank what kind of rate are they paying you and should you in fact not even worry about this and open accounts at more than one online bank where they're paying the highest rates on savings. And so that would be my preference. But just to get to the basic answer you're asking for, you'll find the rules that you've got to live by, not what a bank tells you, but the rules that FDIC goes by at FDIC.gov. Kim?
1: Anonymous in Virginia says, I, rent, I always like that. I know, <laughs> me too. <laughs> I rent, I have one car. It's co owned. Oh, and I co own a second car with my daughter in her 20s. Excuse me. I have around $100,000 and growing in a brokerage account. I got a quote for umbrella insurance and. It would not cover any huge claims involving my daughter's car since it's not in my household. She lives elsewhere. I'll be a co owner for a couple more years until the car's paid off. What would you recommend to cover this?
0: So, your daughter's actually paying, I'm assuming, for the vehicle, and you're just a co signer on the loan. Since you have resources, what I would do is go ahead. And pay off the loan and your daughter owns the vehicle completely and pays you the payment instead each month till it's paid off two years from now that way it's completely removed from you being involved in it your daughter completely owns it and your assets would not be at risk you do stand the risk that once it's not a bank involved that she may not be as motivated to make the payments. You'll have to think about that in terms of what the family dynamic is like. Joel?
2: Clark Natalie in Maryland says, I recently got a letter in the mail about getting exterior water service line plus coverage from uh, uh, an insurance company. My home is about 36 years old. According to the letter, I'm responsible if anything happens to the pipes that go through my property. They estimate repairs and equipment is about $3,000. So should I get this coverage?
0: This is something that became a phenomenon back in the 1990s. There was a product used for exterior waterline service called polybutylene pipe that was defective in design and manufacture and caused massive numbers of waterlines to fail, yard service waterlines to fail in the United States, both at great cost in water bills and in repairs the polybutylene pipe problem seems to have faded thank goodness into history it's very rare anybody still has one installed at a home and the danger of a water line breaking is very obscure now very very rare and so I would not spend the money for this coverage because yeah anything's possible But the chances your waterline is going to deteriorate and break and cause you a multi-thousand dollar bill is very, very unlikely.
1: Kim? William in North Carolina wants to know, when is the best time of year to buy a dishwasher? And do you have any recommendations on how to shop for one? Any
0: year but this year. The problem with major appliances is that they have remained in short supply through 2020 all kitchen appliances have been under assault price-wise two reasons. One, the number of people on the assembly lines who have gotten coronavirus that has disrupted production in the factory environment for appliances. And then second, because so many people who ate home occasionally and cooked occasionally are doing much more of that, appliances are giving Giving it up much sooner than before. And so it's a perfect storm against your wallet with appliances. Unless you absolutely need a new dishwasher now, limp along with it till supply and demand gets more into sync in 21 and prices come back to more normal prices. But what's the typical best time of the year to buy kitchen appliances? Historically, it is. Labor Day weekend. Tyler's with us on the Clark Howard show and Tyler you are one lucky college student and that you're at a state school and your parents are able to help you with the expenses of your education.
3: Yes yes most definitely and so I am a 21 a year old college student with $8,000 to my name and zero debt zero expenses and so I don't need the money so I really want to invest it and when I thought about what I wanted to do with it, I was looking at, at opening a Roth so that my interest could start compounding, but there's just so many options, and I didn't really know where to begin and how much to invest.
0: All right, so Tyler, in order to be able to do a Roth, are you working part-time while you're in college? Um, right now, I'm not, but okay, so uh,
3: starting after my graduation in May is, is when I'll start working.
0: All right. so you can't do a Roth till you're working. Okay. So just keep the eight thousand in savings for now and mm-hmm. you're not gonna earn a lot. If you put it in one of the online banks, you'll earn, I guess, about three quarters of one percent right now. But that's better than nothing. And mm-hmm. then once you get a job after graduation, you'll be able to open a Roth IRA and you can put up to six grand a year into it. So what I would do is is once you have a job after graduation, set it up where you automatically put $500 every month into a Roth IRA. And then as you're working and having money come in, you're still going to have your $8,000 as emergency money, as rainy day money. Mm -hmm. And the Roth, I want to be a habit for you, from when you get out of college and start working that you just do that as part of your expenses in life just like wherever you're paying rent or whatever okay and so i also oh and i intention- didn't answer your question you asked up front so oh. <laughs> i want you to do a roth when you start working next year at one mm-hmm. of the low-cost companies um okay. i've got a guide on clark.com that talks about that and where the money should go. But I'm going to explain to you now. The three big low-cost companies are Vanguard, Schwab, and Fidelity. And you can open your Roth with any of them. And then I'd want you to look at putting your money in the target retirement fund. What it does is based on your age, you pick a year in the future. I think right now you can go 2065 maybe is where you should go. And you put your money in. Think about that. You're putting money aside for year 2065. And they just automatically handle the investment mix for you. And these funds are sold commission-free, have almost no management expense to them. So all the money you put in is just going to grow for you over the years. Okay. And so the 8000 you have, I want that to remain there for emergency needs that you might have over your years when you got out of college but the other money is money you're going to generate from your pay every month that's going to go into that Roth IRA and best to you after you finish school. Thanks for taking time out of your day to join us here on the Clark Howard show where it's all about you learning ways to keep more of what you have. So I've had A surprising number of people ask me, nervous, if we are going to have another foreclosure crisis in the United States. And they're worried because of the number of people who have lost their jobs, who were not able to make mortgage payments at various points this year, and they're worried about those people being foreclosed on and evicted. And I want to tell you there are a number of, of dynamics in the housing market right now that are why, number one, we're not going to have any kind of major foreclosure problem in the United States. And second, the reality is in a lot of metro areas, outer suburban counties and exurban counties are actually seeing demand for housing high enough that the cost of buying a home has been rising and rental houses are really in short supply seeing meaningful increases in what you have to pay in rent. So let me first deal with the homeowner equation. People who have fallen behind has turned out to be a far smaller number than expected and much, much lower then the number of people who in April, May, and June asked for permission from their mortgage lender as allowed under one of the coronavirus statutes to not make payments for a period of time that was an initial three months that could grow to six or 12. Very few people actually ever took advantage of the ability to skip payments who had already received permission To do so, a lot of people who thought they were going to lose their jobs did not, who were homeowners, and they've continued to be able to make those payments. So, the number of people who are not going to be able to catch up once mortgage payments have to resume and may in fact be in a position where they could face foreclosure instead, because of the overall strength of the housing market, are going to be able to sell those homes and get out from under what they've not been able to pay. A lot of the programs for forbearance allow you to essentially catch up at the closing table if you end up choosing to sell your home. As for the rental market, after the real estate bust or during the real estate bust from 7 to 12, big publicly traded and private equity groups bought up a huge number of foreclosed homes around the country and have kept many of them instead of flipping them kept them all these years since that time period as rental homes and those rental homes are proving to hold enough rent and rents actually increasing according to what people in the real estate industry say that Being a landlord of a rental home, especially in outer ring suburbs and the next wave of counties known as exurbs, has proven to be a very, very good thing for either individual landlords or for these big private equity groups that own these properties. So it remains, for people who bought rental properties years ago, it remains an opportunity For you to generate nice rent and benefit from being a landlord for the tenants, not so much right now. Now, follow the pattern I said, outer suburbs and exurbs. If you're looking for a deal on rent right now, it seems the closer you move towards the city, whatever city it is, the likely better you're going to find an opportunity for rent. Because people are not worried about commuting time and distance right now who work in jobs where they don't have to commute, or even if they work in jobs they do have to commute, traffic patterns are still altered enough that commuting is not nearly as difficult today. It's time for your questions that you posted for me at clark.com slash ask. And I think, Joel, it's your turn. That's right, Clark. Melinda
2: in Georgia says, on one of your recent shows, a caller asked a question about when you would need to have a will done professionally. You said, if you have a complicated family situation or if you have a lot of money, please define a lot of money. This term is very subjective. I have a non-complicated family situation, but I have a fair amount of money. So I'm not sure if this amount rises to the threshold of a lot in your definition.
0: In my definition, a lot, and it applies to very few people, is when your assets that are inheritable rise above $1 million. That that's the point at which making a mistake in your will could be devastating to your survivors if you were not able to have your wishes carried out because you miss certain things with how your will is prepared. It used to be a lower number under prior estate tax laws that the amount that I would talk about with this was half a million dollars. But today, because estate tax is not an issue till huge sums of money, it's really more about the stakes and the game in terms of money for your survivors. And a million is an arbitrary number. It, you know, Different people would disagree with that, but I'd say that's the point at which not paying a lawyer who specializes in wills, estates, and trusts would really be a mistake on your part, being cheap on the preparation of the will with consequences for people you love later if something with your will was successfully challenged or found to not be fully legal and couldn't be carried out as you had desired.
1: Kim? All right, Mike in California says, Hey, Clark, I know you love your Tesla, but what is your thought (laughs) on Tesla's solar panels? Their websites claim that they have the lowest pricing in America, but I haven't heard you talk about it much. Additionally, is it a good investment and is there a break even point?
0: That gets really complicated, the last part. So let's deal with the early part. Tesla recently cut the price of their solar panels to a point that made them in most communities that they sell panels and install them the lowest price provider. Now the thing is Tesla in spite of being a national company offers installation of solar panels in very very few communities. Those communities tend to be ones that have a real culture about solar and may even have government incentives that get people more focused and interested in putting in solar panels even though Tesla's price is potentially industry lowest I do recommend that you get quotes from other companies as well as from Tesla I've had no feedback at all as to what it's like doing business with Tesla on solar panels because a weakness in Tesla's overall operation for cars and everything else, is how they handle customer service and service after the sale, which might well be a weak point with solar as well. Now, the EPA and the Energy Department both have tools that are not the easiest to use to try to figure out the price efficiency of putting in solar at your home. And part of what I find is just commonsensical in terms of whether solar will work for you, and that is um, how much the sun is a factor where you live. There are certain places in the country where solar just automatically makes sense, Florida, Texas, um, New Mexico, Arizona, Southern California, along the southern tier where there's great southern exposure to the sun, is where you're going to get the greatest bang for your buck, but California especially because of very high electricity prices. Joel?
2: Clark Clayton in Georgia says, you mentioned on the air a way to avoid paying for credit monitoring service by joining a group and then freezing your credit at no cost. So how do I go about doing this?
0: Credit Karma which is for sale right now, so hopefully these freebies won't change after they're taken over by their new owners. At Credit Karma, you're able to get an update on your credit whenever you want. You're able to see an approximation of your credit score from two of the three bureaus whenever you wish, completely at no cost. And you're able to get basic credit monitoring for free as part of the services they offer. Now, as for the issue of credit freeze, credit freeze is a fantastic and now much simpler process for you with the three major credit bureaus. Plus, you can do it for more minor outfits if you want, but most people just worry with Equifax, TransUnion, and Experian, where you're able to shut down cold someone pretending to be you and applying for credit as if they are you. It's free to freeze, free to thaw when you want to. And I've got a credit freeze guide at Clark.com, which will take you through how to do it with each of the three major credit bureaus. The initial setup takes probably about 15 minutes to do it in some total for all three bureaus. Unfortunately, they each use a different procedure. And they each used to use a secret code that was unique to you in that bureau and that report to thaw your credit. Now they do a series of challenges to make sure you are who you say you are when you do need temporary access to your credit. And it is not as safe and secure as it was with the codes. But people by the millions kept losing their codes. And so the credit bureaus came up with the new validation processes So you're able to uh, freeze it with about 15 minutes time. You're able to thaw if you need to thaw all three. It'll take you under five minutes to do that when you're applying for new credit or you're getting a mortgage or something like that.
1: Kim? Charles Allen says, how do you find a local mover that's insured and bonded?
0: Oh, this is so hard because there are a lot of what um, excuse the expression I know it's not politically correct but it's what it's called in the moving industry there are a lot of gypsy movers that are not properly licensed not properly insured and so what you need to do is in each state there's a state agency that oversees movers in that state and there may be a small number of very lightly populated states that don't have a state oversight but as a general rule this is how it works and you are able to check with them who is properly licensed and then you'll be able to see if your state requires proper insurance and if not you want the mover to provide you with documentation that they are properly insured because you'll already know they're properly licensed. In some states, you cannot get a binding estimate price move for a move within the state. Others you can. And the ones that you can't get a binding estimate, you can at least compare hourly rates from one mover to another.
4: This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance.
0: You are an exercise Is that a good term for you?
3: <laughs> yeah, I guess you could put it that way. Well, I just enjoy it, and uh, it's been good for me over the years, and I like to
0: run, so I'm still doing that. Coming well, you know, I'm, running, so. I'm a runner, too, but I run so slowly that people think I'm a, a walker, not a runner.
3: <laughs> I guess you could say that more about me. I'm more of a jogger or a, a fast walker, but uh, I still get out there, so it's great. I enjoy it.
0: Well, great. Well, how can I help a fellow fitness nut?
3: Well, what I don't have is a a life insurance policy, and I thought I would check with you first before I do any research and see what might be available to me. I feel like I am going to live maybe past the average um, for people my age because of my um, healthy lifestyle, hopefully. (laughs) Fingers crossed, right?
0: Well, how old uh, are you?
3: 62.
0: And who depends on you for income, or who is it you would have the life insurance for?
3: Uh, My wife, and uh, we have three sons and
0: six grandkids. Wow. So in retirement, your wife is going to depend on you for income, or let's say in in your untimely demise, what would she live on?
3: Well, she is a real estate agent right now, and so she has her own income. We both work. I would like to uh, get something going, though, for my sake, because I, I just feel like it's important to get something out there, and i you know waited all this time. I still don't have anything. So,
0: so the purpose of insurance is going to be replacement of income, and sure. because you're in such phenomenal physical condition, it means you likely will do what they call medical underwrite, that people will be willing to issue a policy at age 62, but it's not going to be a bargain because as we age, the expected lifespan, even for somebody really fit, starts to shrink as you go through you know, each additional year. So my normal go-to is for you to buy what's known as a level term insurance policy, but okay. you're really only going to be able to go out with that 10 to 15 years typically at age 62 so if you bought one that carried you to age 77 would you feel that your wife at that point would be okay financially the rest of the way or would there be a need for coverage for her beyond 15 years from now i feel like she
3: would be covered uh, at that point so that might take care of it
0: all right you can buy Uh, what are known as instant issue life insurance policies from a couple of companies up to your 65th birthday. So you're still okay with that. I have a guide on Clark.com that'll walk you through how to buy what's known as level term insurance. It has no investment to it. It's just a death policy that would leave money to your wife and or kids when you would pass away. And that would be probably the best thing for you to do because it would not cost a ridiculous amount of money and you'd be able to cover the next 10 to 15 years. So again, the product you want to look for is 10-year level term insurance or 15-year level term insurance. And I've got on my guide information on Haven Life as long as, as well as other companies like Policy Genius that will do instant issue where you Let them look at your medical background, they see how healthy you are, and they don't even have to do a medical exam to issue you a policy. And keep running. You're listening to The Clark Howard Show. Thanks for joining us today. The Clark Howard Show is produced by Kim Drobes, Joel Larsgaard, Deborah Reese, and Jim Ayers. And remember, 24 hours a day, we're there to serve you at Clark.com and ClarkDeals.com.